This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest-growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. I'm Matteo Rixi, executive producer of the show. And today we talk about investment trends with a particular focus on Africa. I would like to introduce Katarina Dalka, um, a consultant that works a lot with Africa, to take over this show. Katarina, over to you. My name is Katarina Dalka. I'm the CEO and founder of Stella One Strategy and Investment Advisory in Tech. We advise corporates, um, financial institutions, and investors on anything related to um, investment in technology. Um, and as a member of um, Africa FinTech Forum, I have the tremendous pleasure to host this podcast today with my amazing guests that I have the pleasure to welcome. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hi. Um, maybe to start this, can you just shortly introduce yourself so our audience knows who um, who is actually speaking? Um, maybe Paul Harry, you want to start? Many thanks, Katarina. So my name is Paul, Paul Harry Etnard. I'm the managing director of uh, EcoBank Côte d'Ivoire. I'm also the regional executive for the francophone West African countries for, for EcoBank. Um, I've spent the lab the last 12 years in, in, in EcoBank. Prior to that, I had some experience in uh, um, financial markets and uh, fixed income and currencies trading. Pleased to join this conversation. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, Ntudi, maybe you want to continue? Thank you, Katarina. And uh, hello, everyone. My name is Tudi Moyelo. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Rwanda Finance Limited. Uh, Rwanda Finance Limited is the um, agency in charge of the promotion and development of Kigali International Financial Center. Uh, in my background, uh, before joining uh, Rwanda Finance, I've been working for the Ministry of Finance in Rwanda for the last two years, uh, mainly in charge of coordinating the different policy reforms to establish the financial center. And prior to that, uh, I was in the finance space working for banks and financial institutions in Asia. I spent 11 years and before that in Luxembourg. Very happy to be here. Thanks for joining. And Eric, your turn. Yes, my name is Eric Osiakwan and I'm managing partner of Chanzo Capital. Uh, Chanzo Capital is an Africa focus uh, VC firm that manages the King's uh, funds, uh, first fund, the King's startup fund. We are Mauritius domiciled um, GP. We have offices in Accra, Nairobi, and Johannesburg. Um, we have five partners. Our first fund primarily invested in early stage tech companies. Um, the net asset value of that portfolio is about $50 million. Uh, we're in the process of raising our second fund. Um, 
prior to to doing this, I was an entrepreneur and I built a couple of uh, early stage uh, um, infrastructure uh, businesses, ISPs, subsea cables, etc. Um, and glad to be here, Katerina. Yeah, thanks for joining. I'm absolutely delighted to have you all on this podcast. It's very interesting because you come from different backgrounds, but I think we covered the, the fintech chain, if you want to say so, from a banking perspective, from an investor perspective, and from a public slash semi-public institutional perspective. So I'm very, very happy that you could all join. Um, so what we wanted to talk about is indeed the state of investments in Africa Um Africa as a whole um, is pretty vast. Um, so what I would actually like to start with is we've seen in recent times a lot of investments um, coming into fintech in all sizes and shapes of forms. Like I looked up like very recent ones. So we had um, the one, for example, Pineapple that raised a series A of 5.5 million in South Africa. Then we had Kondabak Nigeria that raised a series B of $55 million. So they're like all sizes and shapes. And I would like to have your opinion about um, what is actually happening at the moment. Because for me, it looks like, you know, Africa is kind of catching up and it's becoming the new nirvana of fintech investment do you share that opinion i do and that's why we invest in adventures <laughs> uh, because we really i mean if i could cast my mind back to 10 years uh, 15 years ago i started writing about this phenomenon and that's when i started uh, following my talk by walking um the talk um of investing my own capital and study chancel as a firm to invest in these companies. Um, I remember uh, back then a few of my friends uh, laughed at me and thought, you know, I'm gonna lose the little wealth I'd created for myself and thought that this was upset and these entrepreneurs don't know how to build companies, they haven't done it before, so what are you trying to do? But for me, what was phenomenal was a paradigm shift that was quite powerful in the sense that I started encountering entrepreneurs from around the continent who, even though some of them lacked the prerequisite educational background, they lacked the critical infrastructure you needed, they lacked all the elements, they had this vision and hunger and ambition to build technology companies that solve critical problems in the continent. And I saw it in Kenya, Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa, everywhere I went. So it was clear to me that there was some form of a revolution and it, was, it came with a certain paradigm shift because that paradigm shift was these entrepreneurs believing in themselves and believing that they can create the next Facebook or Google out of this difficult situation they found themselves in. And the saying that necessity breeds innovation was very clear to me. And that's how I ventured into this. And today, we now have about seven or eight unicorns. Um, some of the latest unicorn was within three years of starting that company, became a billion dollar company out of Africa. And that's just phenomenal. And I believe it's the tip of the iceberg. And, and we're going to see more companies um, and global successful businesses coming out of Africa. So to echo that, yes, this is a catch-up. Yes, this is a revolution. Um, yes, there are, there, there are great unicorns coming from Africa. But after saying that, I think for us in this conversation, and if we want to look forward, is... You know, let us make sure that this uh, 
does not picture a reality which is not the reality that we are seeing on the ground. And the reality that we are seeing on the ground is that the vast majority of fintechs are still struggling to raise funds in the continent. Struggling, I'm saying. You know, if you talk to 80% of the if you talk to 80% of the of the of the fintechs, they're going to tell you that the main issue that they have is the lack of financial resources and the lack of equity capital. So I think yes, progress has been made, but we are still extremely far from what we have seen in some emerging market. I'm not even talking about the developed market. We are still extremely far from where we want to see Africa. And I think that our job is to just to make sure that we we put together that ecosystem that is going to help us not to progress, but to do some leapfrogs. And that's the type of conversation that I think that we should be having. You know, when you have a conversation like this one, you always need, you, you usually have someone coming with big numbers. So please allow me to be that person today. Um, because it's uh, it's also important to, to come with, with facts and uh, usually we take numbers as facts. Um, if you look at uh, the investment into fintech in Africa, in the past six and a half years, um, we have raised around 1 billion more or less, uh, going to almost 300 fintech startups. And this number has been the double of what has been raised by startups in other sectors. So to your point, yes, fintech is definitely an area where we see more excitement coming from investors on the continent. And um, it is important to to realize as well that despite the COVID uh, situation, uh, the amount raised has been growing annually. And in the first six months of this year, it has doubled. Um, Last year total in the development, largely due to one or two transactions. And here we can look, for example, at what Flutterwave received. Um, So to the point that was raised by my colleagues, um, yes, there is still a big gap in terms of um, access to to investment. And I suppose that we'll talk about it later. Uh, But one is first to acknowledge that Africa, despite some negative perception, has been able to raise this flow of capital, and FinTech has been the main recipient of it. Um, Having said that, uh, the other learning point that I would like to to maybe us to to, to explore is the fact that most of this investment is going to certain types of FinTech. And here, mainly the ones that are dealing in payments, remittances. Uh, So the question that I have is, is Africa only a fintech destination for payment and, and remittances? Do we have other needs in terms of technology innovation? Um, I would like us as well to, to look at it. Um, I'll stop here and let my colleagues also jump in. Um, yeah, that brings me a little bit to my next question. Um, thanks for um, opening up the subject. So. I have a lot of conversations, especially in during events with Africa FinTech Forum, about what it is that attracts investors, because obviously there are a lot of things that um, African FinTech need to fight with um, to raise capital. And I'm comparing this to what happens in a little bit more of a mature market in Europe. Um, 
And I find it quite interesting that, um, well, first of all, I would like to have your vision on what it is that makes African FinTech attractive for, um, for uh, investors. And second of all, what is still lacking? Well, if I can start, I, I think that the greatest attraction is the fact that the payment platform that was that we sit on is significantly different from the rest of the world. So the developed world primarily uses, you know, cards, credit or debit cards, as a way to do online payments. And credit and debit cards have been hard to penetrate in the African market, you know, for a lot of reasons that we don't want to go into. So mobile money came along at the right time and, and became the, the de facto online payment system. And so I say that in the West, the money is on the card. In Africa, the money is on the phone. And I think that it's quite phenomenal how mobile money is such a simple innovation, but yet very powerful. And it's money to be able to move Africa from behind the line to the front of fintech innovation globally. And I think that that is a very compelling factor for a lot of investors because investors look for new opportunities, look for uncharted waters and, you know, go out there and take those risks. And those risks always come with huge returns. So I would say that there are, there are, there are many things that, that um, do justify the fact that uh, Africa is becoming the new Eldorado. So first is, is the size of the demand. I mean, if you take aside um, China, you don't have any continent with a billion people, and, and the vast majority of that continent is young people that are very attractive by, 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 um, uh, by technology. So, so the size of the demand that we have is large enough to attract enough investors. The second one is, uh, is definitely the geography. And when saying that, just look at the, the, the continent that we have. We have uh, uh, 54 countries. Uh, ranging from uh, Maputo to Dakar and uh, Tripoli to Cape Town. And uh, if you take only the, the, the payment um, uh, marketplace, that's a vast business for anyone who wants to do a payment business. So, so that is attractive for any investor that wants to play into the payment space to have that type of uh, uh, continent available to you. And then thirdly, I think, from it, from a, we have a gap in terms of adoption that is, and, and I would say that primarily in the francophone countries, there's a gap in terms of adoption that still exists. And therefore, for any investor, when you look at developed market, you can say that, okay, in terms of adoption, there's a lot that has been already done. But if you take some countries within Africa, there's still a lot of opportunity in terms of adoption. And therefore, that's a good place to, to invest. Then your question, Katarina, is why and, and what is missing? And, and what is missing is, is, is basically what has been said earlier. There's, there are still a lot of things that are missing. And mainly, in my opinion, is the ecosystem that needs to be put in place to make sure that this is becoming a, a winning place. Um, the technology uh, is still an issue in terms of connectivity. Um, uh, regulation is still, an issue, is still an issue in terms of understanding of, uh, of the fintech world. Uh, and also, as I said earlier, capital is still an issue in, the, in, in, this, um, in that space. So um, my, my view is a bit different here. Um, and, and again, um, 
uh, I think this is uh, part of uh, what you usually see in in, um, in Rwanda in a way. Um, we 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 want to take back this this narrative, and um, and here when we could be happy, I will say, to have this increase in investment into fintech in Africa. Um, actually, when you look at the bigger picture, uh, and I'm talking from a from a small country, um, Africa is nowhere. Okay, uh, today the investment into uh, fintech worldwide is above 100 billion US dollars. Uh, and if you recall what I just said before, Africa is not even receiving 1 billion. So yes, we can all agree and be happy to have this increase, but the question is why aren't we getting more? And I'm sorry, but the size of the market in America cannot be compared with the size of the market in Africa and the needs, the different technology innovation that we have to, grow through, to go through in order to develop our economy is way bigger than what you see in, in America. So the question to me is, why are we not receiving more in, in the continent? Uh, it's, it's good that FinTech is driving this, this investment into, into Africa, uh, but at the level, for example, of what you are doing in Kigali International Financial Center is to see how we can get those investors coming closer to fintech. Because when we, when we are talking about those countries receiving fintech, it, will, it is always, as, as we call them, the, 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 the same countries, um, being Nigeria, being Kenya, being South Africa. Um, but even in those countries, where are the investors? I know it is part of the discussion we're going to have today, yep. but we strongly believe that the reason that we must create proximity between the investors and the opportunities. And one of the learning, uh, one of the learnings that we have, uh, being this year or the, or the year before, is as long as we are not able to attract directly in the continent the investors from the business angel to venture capitalists to private equity on the continent, we will always be the last one to be served. And this is the narrative that we want to change. I'm going to throw something in here that might be a little bit controversial. Um, I think that indeed, I mean, it's like I'm all agreeing with you about the amazing opportunities um, that the African continent as a whole represents, the market size, um, the degree of maturity, etc. But what about country risk, aka political risk, and also what about skills? Because what I can observe from um, some of the work that we're doing on the continent, there is a gap in terms of skills that need to be that needs to be closed, and also, um, like investments are protected in a very different way from country to country. Um, when you look at a country like Ghana, um, foreign investments are protected in a certain way. While when you compare that to South Africa, when you compare that to Kenya, when you compare that to Ivory Coast, there are very different degrees of protection of foreign investment. And if I speak foreign investment, I don't necessarily speak about US, I don't necessarily speak about Europe. It's also intra 
African continent-ish kind of investment. So what about that, though? Right. Um, Serena, I mean, this question of African rigs always comes up when you talk about investments um, on the continent. And I think there's a perception pathway and there's a reality pathway, um, to be honest. But I think now at the core of investing is risk taking, right? So every investor has their risk appetite and then they calibrate based on that appetite. Yeah. But the investors that like to go to emerging markets, they like taking um, emerging market risks. They have investors who do what they call frontier markets, uh, even the investors who like post-conflict countries, right? So, so I think that sort of putting the whole of African one jacket is where people get it wrong. Um, Africa has made tremendous progress, and there are countries that are politically stable, democratically growing. Um, you can talk about the king's countries and others that have the rule of law. Um, you can take government to court. You can take you know um, cases to the legal system, and you get a fair here, right? And then there are countries where you know you still have some level of uh, political maturity to happen, and then there are countries that are just coming out of civil unrest, right? So. I mean, for me, those are the three categorizations. So you need to define which type of risks you can take and where your appetite is, and that defines the countries that you're going to. So having laid that foundation, I think that it's really a question of also now the sector that you are, you are interested in investing in, what returns those sector give you, and if those returns are commensurate with the risks that you take, right? So for example, investing in FinTech, when I started, very high risk. Um, investing in tech, tech wasn't known. People thought that this thing is a facade. But because I was a tech entrepreneur myself and I built businesses, it was very clear to me that it was an opportunity here. And I'd seen it in Silicon Valley when I went to school there. So for me, it was very clear to me that this was going to happen in Africa. So I was comfortable taking that risk and being a pioneer and leading an industry that is today um, and I believe it's going to be the future of Africa's economy. I believe the digital economy is going to be the economy in Africa because the secular economy has really stagnated and we've seen how resources haven't really moved Africa forward. You know, But I strongly believe that the new generation of entrepreneurs that are really adding value using technology are really the ones that are going to move the continent forward. So from that perspective, somebody will say maybe you are too utopian, but that's where my risk appetite is. I'm having to take you know, put my money where my mouth is. And as I indicated, our current portfolio of companies that we invested over the last five years, our first portfolio is now has a 10X. And the early stage investors in some of these companies have had much more higher returns. For example, the early stage investors in Iroko TV in Nigeria made 14 times, 14X cash on cash return in five years. The early stage investors in... Um, um, a, um, um, Wesley Teller made 30X uh, within five years of the uh, early investment. So it's a high risk, but also a high return area, right? So if your risk appetite is good, then go for it. And then the other private equity investor who say, no, I don't want to take this risk. I want to wait for companies that are matured um, and they have stable revenues. And I'm just sort of piggybacking on that. And I want to wait and see the market mature. Yes, you know, there are those investors and they are waiting and looking at us and they will never get this huge uh, return profile. So for me, it's really a question of calibrating currency risks, legal risks, you know, country risks and all those elements. It's what every investor does. 
and then creates a portfolio, a port and that goes into your portfolio constructions and defines your risk appetite, and that defines the returns that you get. So in a manner of speaking, what I'm saying is that Africa is not different from anywhere else in the world. If you went to the U.S. today, there are parts of the U.S. that are high risks that people won't invest in. Um, there are parts of Europe that people won't invest in because they're high risks for them, right? And, and there are people who will say, I, I want to invest in London Stock Exchange. I want to invest in tre government treasury bonds. Uh, but you will get uh, 1 2 3%, 4%, 5%. If you want to get 30x, then you got to take the risk. <laughs> I, I think I think you are I think you are right because I think we are lucky actually in Africa on that specific on that uh, in the fintech space when talking about country risk because if you taking another you know, sector such as uh, even banking or let's say manufacturing or or, or, or commodity Yes, country risk is extremely important because you want to make sure that you protect uh, everything that you're investing into, into that country. But when you're talking ab about fintech, I think the country risk as a risk item in your assessment is less important because the level of uh, um, um, risk appetite that you need to have uh, to go into fintech is pretty much the same if you want to go into China, India, or Rwanda, let's say. It's pretty much the same in terms of risk appetite and risk level. So so I think we are we are lucky enough. I think that for the first time we can say that, uh, you know what, in that space, no one can say that Africa has a higher risk than the, than the others. On, on your point on skills, um, I, I, Katarina, I disagree. I don't think that... I mean, I partially disagree. I don't think that the, the a lack of skill is a significant weakness in uh, in Africa compared to some other emerging markets. So once again, I'm trying to compare Africa to some other emerging markets. I think that if you go to some specific countries in Africa, you go to Nigeria, you go to Rwanda, you go to Ghana, you go into some countries in uh, even in the francophone space in Senegal, you do have enough skills, so you be you be we begin to seeing a surge in terms of skills of of, of pe people that understand technology and the fintech world. So so I'm less concerned than you on that skills on that skills item. Now that being said, if we take this conversation further in terms of investment into our countries, I think that one thing that is missing and which is making reluctant for other investors to come into Africa is the fact that ourselves we are not investing enough into 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 the African uh, fintechs. I think that's the issue. I think that you know. If you want to attract foreign investors, you need to showcase um, domestic or local investors that have invested into those fintechs. That's how you get. That's how you give comfort to oh, any foreign investor. Oh, if I may jump in, the, the reason is, the reason that is the case is that most of people who have made wealth in Africa didn't make wealth in fintech. Fintech is an industry, new industry, right? We need to contextualize it, and I'm not holding holding Greek. But generally, people invest in what they know and what they've made money from, right? For example, if you are going to invest, because you're a banker, you are most likely going to invest in a bank because you know banking, right? So you know that nobody can try and play games with you. The reason I'm investing in fintech and in tech is because I know tech, right? 
majority of the world that is created in Africa wasn't made for this sector. So I think that that is a reason, I'm not holding an excuse, but it's important to understand that this industry also exists in the second decade. I mean, Silicon Valley, China, et cetera, have been built, were built over years, right? So I think that we're getting the right momentum as these companies become more successful, more and more of those, com- those entrepreneurs who are successful will be reinvesting. And so we're going to see more local investment coming in. If, 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 if I may, Katarina, um, uh, here, um, I think we really have different views uh, um, because I, I totally agree with this um, narrative around uh, Africa and risk. Um, fintech, as any other business, is all about return. It's all about investment in something that makes sense. So, you know, you can do an exercise very easily. Look at what you can consider as the safest countries in Africa and tell me where they rank in terms of fintech investment. They won't be in your top five, for sure. So when investors are deciding to put money in a fintech in any country, it's because they believe that there is business sense to it. And Africa make business make make sorry business sense and that's why people are investing in the continent now specific to fintech yes you are right talent can be seen as one of the factor for some countries to be more attractive than others in terms of fintech and there are a series of of i would say of, of factors that uh, we could take at, as potential um i would say um reason for fintech to be successful um, in their development. Um, in, in Rwanda, for example, we believe that this can be built into four quadrants. One is the proximity to customers. So this is where we all agree that large markets are today the one receiving most of the investments from, from, from fintech investors. Having said so, there are some very big markets like Ethiopia, that are still a bit lagging behind, but we see that they are also coming. So proximity to customers is very important. The second is proximity to expertise, and this is where you are talking about this talent pool. Um, Yes, if you look at uh, Nigeria, if you look at Ghana, uh, they have those ecosystems, and they they have those education programs that make it easier for FinTech to find uh, the the, the right talents, the the right experts. Third is innovation culture, because fintech, as Eric was saying, is not the um, it, it, it's not the past. Fintech is always looking at what will be developed in the future. So having access to having accelerators, having incubators, um, are the type of um, of players that those countries receiving fintech all have in common today in in Africa. And last but not least, of course, it is the government support. You need to have regulation. You need to have incentives that will make it easier for fintech to develop their solutions that they can then present to potential investors. So um, I didn't want to be controversial, but country risk for me has nothing to do with fintech attractiveness in Africa. 
Thank you very much. Um, I find it very interesting what uh, Polari just said about uh, foreign versus local capital. This is something that I absolutely wanted to talk about because I fully agree that um, I think that from my perspective as an advisor, what is lacking as of now is like more African investors investing in tech and in fintech more specifically in Africa. Um, and I do wonder why that is the case. So um, Eric, you gave a little bit of an, like an opinion about that. Um, if we can just jump into that subject again and probably a little bit, elaborate a little bit more on that. Is this because the investment culture is not there? As you said, a fortune has been made in, in different areas. So investors are less tech savvy. What is this about? Well, I, I will sort of jump on, build up on my point. So there is sort of the new generation wealth that has been created in the sector, right? But also that any investor is calibrating that opportunity against other opportunities, right? And so if I know real estate and real estate is going to make me three years, right? Within five years, then I'm going to say, well, tech is going to make me 10x in in, uh, in five years, but I don't know tech. So maybe I should head my risk and then do real estate that I know, right? And, and, and this is how every investor would think, right? So in my view, there's also the sectoral element to the argument of why there's not enough tech investment. Then the third point is that I think the innovation culture that is emerging is still very nascent, right? There's not been a lot of successful companies enough for people to see this as mainstream. And this is what we are getting into now, that FinTech is beginning to get into mainstream. The thing that two Nigerian entrepreneurs started Paystack five years ago, and they just got acquired for $200 million. These gentlemen are now millionaires, right? And that sends a message to the market. If you get 10 more of these companies in the next five years, suddenly it gets a real 10. So in my view, we are about we are turning the corner with getting this sort of what I call pockets of excellence begin to emerge. I think I think the the right way to address that issue, in my opinion, is um, to have a conscious effort, both from the private sector and the public sector, to make sure that we uh, we dedicate some capital to 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 African fintech. Because the real question that we may ask ourselves is, is the capital available? Do we need to go um, foreign if we want to have capital available to our fintechs? The answer to that is no. There are available pools of capital on the continent that can be directed into the fintech industry. The size of the available capital on the continent is somewhere around, if I'm taking all the pools of capital, is somewhere around a thousand billion dollars. If I'm taking only the investment schemes, such as the social funds, um, um, you have pretty much 200 billion dollars that are available today. The only issue is that that money is either trapped domestically, so Countries do not allow money to flow from Nigeria to, I don't know, to Kenya or, or Rwanda easily, or that money is sitting in fixed income markets. 
So there needs to be a conscious effort, both from the government and also to the, from the private sector on the macro side, to direct pools of capital into the fintech space. I, I, I believe that here we cannot agree more than on the fact that um, there is a need to have local champion. That's, that's really to the base of the discussion. Um, now talking uh, investors' interest, being foreign or local, um, we need to be pragmatic. And sometimes we just forget to, to really understand what we are talking about. Fin investment into fintech is mainly coming from the from pulling um, from pulling vehicles that are accessible to investors in the country where from where they are investing. Okay, to make it easy, meaning like when we think about America, when you think about, about Europe, investors in those regions, they have easily access to investment vehicles that are looking at, at FinTech. Now look at Africa. When you look at the financial ecosystem of the products that are offered to our investors, it is very limited. And only a few that are well informed will know that in order to get access to the return of a fintech, I can go and invest in this VC fund or in this uh, private equity fund, as an example. So we have a challenge there. Second, if you look now at individuals being business angel investors, uh, what do we have in place to make these type of investors attracted to invest in African general? We have quite nothing, I will say. Um, so we need to educate our population for them to diversify their investment, not only in those very standard financial products, we need to be innovative now to, to get them easy access to those investment opportunities. And only at that point, we will be able to see what is exactly the appetite of the local investors on those investment opportunities. That's the position that we have here in, uh, in, in Rwanda. And at the level of the, of the center, we have uh, we are working on a few initiatives uh, to make it happen. So just to name a few, and we are not the only country in Africa doing that, and we want to see more countries in Africa, Senegal, uh, Nigeria, and so on that are also um, uh, showing the way. We have worked on the Startup Act to ease the development of innovative fintech companies because we, we need to give an environment for them to to be able to, to grow. And we are looking at regulation, but as coming, uh, I mean, coming from the financial space, regulation on business angel investors, regulation on venture capitalist uh, activities. We are looking at 
laws that will enable the structuring of different types of, of, uh, of investment structures. And of course, at the national level, we are looking at a strategy for fintech development. So uh, I don't think that there is one easy answer to a question, Katarina, but for sure, the answer is within Africa because this is an African issue. Um, and we have to start by really understanding what I will define as the full value chain for a fintech um, to, to develop and to be accessible to the larger audience um, starting by their local population. Yeah, I, I must say I quite agree with um, what you said earlier, which is um, I think there is probably a, a lack of knowledge about the investment vehicles that are at, at the availability uh, probably there are not enough, probably they're not enough known um, to the local investors. And maybe there's also um, a little bit of a, an investment culture to be created around regulations, around the way to do with the value chain, as you mentioned. So um, yeah, I quite agree with you. Um, which brings me to my next and last topic that I wanted to discuss with you guys, which is the comparison between the English speaking and the French speaking area. Um, uh, we can see that investments are thriving more in the English speaking um, parts of Africa than in the French speaking parts of Africa. In your opinion, why is that? I'm being very controversial. Who should start? I see on your faces. <laughs> <laughs> Who should start? The francophone guy or the anglophone guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can start. Fire away. <laughs> so I think I think I think is a mix of issues. But if I want to summarize them, I think one what is um, different between anglophone and francophone is. Uh, uh, certainly the level of adoption um, that is that is one element that is making a huge difference if you are looking how customers adopt new technologies in um, Ghana and Nigeria compared to Cote d'Ivoire uh, or Mali there's a gap and that is uh, something that is more links to sociology for us to understand. So one is adoption. Number two is the environment, or let us call it the ecosystem that has been created to um, to build those uh, those champions into into the countries where we have good ecosystem. The adoption is better. So the ecosystem is better in Nigeria and Ghana compared to Cote d'Ivoire. The ecosystem is better in Senegal compared to Cote d'Ivoire. So when the ecosystem, both from a regulatory perspective or from an um, um, investment perspective or from a government support perspective, when the, the ecosystem is, is, is um, 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 uh, positive and supportive, there you have a better a better adoption. So those are some of the elements that may explain why we have that difference. Now, in our position as a Pan-African bank in 33 countries, 
you know, present in uh, Nigeria, Ghana, and also on the francophone countries. What we are trying to do is to offer the same product suite to our customers wherever you are sitting. And then being on the ground, trying to push those products um, um, to make sure that um, whether you are Ivorian or you are Ghanaian, we can do everything that we can for you to adopt that uh, that product. I think that's the way that we need to look at it. Let us not crystallize that gap. Let us, in, in contrary, let us see how we can do our best to bring our francophone um, uh, people at the same level as the anglophone people. If, if, if I may jump in here, uh, being also a francophone, and thank you, Paul-Henri, uh, I fully agree with everything you have said. Um, the, the ecosystem is, is key. And um, we are very fortunate um, at, at the center here uh, to, to engage with fintech association from, from across the continent. And um, if there is something for sure is innovation is everywhere in Africa, being from Francophone, Anglophone countries, we are fortunate to be talking to fintech promoters and innovators um, that are coming with great ideas. Um, what we see as a difference was at the time, and I said, I, and I'm, I'm speaking now with the past, uh, um, past tense because things are changing, things are evolving. The government support has been one of the major challenge especially in francophone countries. Um, and when we talk about government support, we can easily look, for instance, at regulation that will uh, allow a fintech company to develop uh, uh, its solution. Um, we can take the example of Nigeria. If you look at how Nigeria fintech can get access to license or the type of licenses that are available to them, it is nowhere comparable to the licensing that are available in any of the francophone country. So this for us is really the starting point. We as government must make sure that we are giving the relevant framework, the relevant ecosystem, for those fintech to be successful. I don't know why, but it looks like in the past, the Anglo-Saxon countries were faster in that process, but I can tell you that uh, through the different fintech association that are now even working all together, like uh, the Africa Fintech Network or the Africa Fintech Forum, um, we do believe that this gap that someone could perceive between francophone and anglophone country, uh, countries um, will be something of the past. Guys, we're coming to the end of our podcast today. Thank you very much for all these insights. It was very interesting. I would have loved to discuss at least three hours more with you because <laughs> I'm sure you had a lot of good things to say about it. Um, however, we need to finalize this recording today. So once again, thank you very much. And it's a wrap. 
Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.